You are listening to episode 39. This episode is brought to you by my new course, How to Dominate LinkedIn with Your Personal Brand. Do you feel like when you're on the LinkedIn platform, you're not really sure how to actually navigate it? Does it feel clunky or confusing? And do you have all these connections, but you're not sure how to really leverage those connections and how to really show up virtually in presenting your personal brand? Well, that is what this course is about because since September, I've gone from 1,500 connections to about 8,000 connections on LinkedIn. Not only that, I've gotten clients through my content and people have actually reached out to me to speak for virtual speaking engagements. So if this is something that you would really like to capitalize on and take advantage of and learn about, then this course is definitely for you. And you can learn about it more uh, in my show notes and I will have the link to the waitlist just for you. And now on with the show. Well. On today's very special edition, holiday edition episode, I get to introduce one of Saskatchewan's golden girls, Rachel Milky. Now, if you are from Saskatchewan, this guest does not need an introduction. But if you aren't, I would just like to tell you why she was so inspiring to me. The first time that I actually heard of her was when she got to speak at an event. It was called Fuse and it was a marketing event. And the first thing I saw on the table at this event were all these beautiful earrings. Now, if anyone knows me, they'll know I'm actually not huge on jewelry at all, but she had these pieces of jewelry on the table called sparkle balls. And all the colors were so vibrant and fun that I actually felt like I wanted to buy every single pair on that table that was so unusual and then they talked about the guest who had created those earrings and that is none other than rachel milky she has actually been on dragon's den presenting this concept and she went from there to create a massive brand and even the queen of england has worn her jewelry so i cannot wait to share her journey and the trials and ups and downs and what she thinks the future holds for retail and Hilberg and Burke right here on today's episode. Welcome to the Okiki Podcast, where we make inspirational people known. Brought to you by your host, Fian O'Brien. Welcome to the Okiki Podcast, and today I'm very excited to have an honored guest. Uh, She's one of Saskatchewan's Golden Girls, and we have Rachel Melke, who's the CEO and founder of Hilberg & Burke, and I'm so excited to have her on the show. I actually discovered Rachel and her brand at the same time, (laughs) 
and I loved her story. So thank you, Rachel, for being willing to be on the show and share that value with our audience. My pleasure. And I guess the first question I wanted to ask you is, how did jewelry actually become your passion? Like, how did you get there? Was this something you grew up wanting to do? You know, I I think like many entrepreneurs that sort of discover something, it was a little bit by accident. When I, when I was growing up, I would say like, I came by creativity and working with my hands, quite honestly, my dad was just um, incredibly talented, although he was a a general contractor and had his own business. Um, He did the most incredible work with his hands, building things, um, woodwork, and it was just really, I think, creative in, in kind of like that sense. And so I saw that growing up and I also like loved making things with my hands, enjoyed crafting would spend hours just sitting there making things and and creating things but never sort of put that together that that could be um, a successful business and although growing up I think entrepreneurship ran in my blood um, I sort of always envisioned that I would be an entrepreneur one day it wasn't until after university that it was sort of I had the spark of like this could be it and so started making jewelry through university actually started selling it just randomly to friends here and there and then after university I took a job working for this incredible organization called Women Entrepreneurs of Saskatchewan, now called WESC. And I sort of thought, you know what, this is a great place to learn um, all the secret sauce to success of entrepreneurship. And so while I was working there, and I worked there for about five years, I started my first business, which was called Urban Pearl Accessories. And it very much I just started making jewelry. And it was friends who were buying it from me. And then it kind of spread word of mouth. And it was my girlfriend who said, Rachel, why don't you do this as a business? And honestly, up until that point, I hadn't considered it. And at first I was like, there's no way, you know, kind of brushed it off. And she was like, no, you should do it. And she said, I'm having this, um, I'm helping organize this three-day nursing convention. Why don't you come and set up a table? And that was the turning point. You know, it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to go for this. I will pick a name, Urban Pearl Accessories. I'm going to design a collection. I launched a website, got business cards printed, and then went to that event, set up my jewelry. And it was that event that really it um, solidified that it could be a feasible business opportunity. We ended up selling out of pretty much everything. I was busy with orders for the next three weeks. And it was at that point that I was like, yes, I could do this from Saskatchewan. I could turn it into a feasible career for me. And and I love doing it. It was something that did not feel like work. I was truly passionate about the creative process of making jewelry and sharing that that creative outlet with the world. So that's really how it all started. Wow. I I love how you encapsulated that. So really there's these sparks in your past that kind of led you to this moment so it didn't really happen overnight as people might visualize it, it was really a build-up to that and I actually forgot to mention I'm sporting one of her um, pieces as well very I'm nice very I'm very I truly am a fan of the worksheet that you do um, because I'm not a huge jewelry fan in all honesty but one thing I did notice when I saw the pieces was how unique and bright and colorful they were and that's actually why I wanted to grab them so it's really um, cool that you built on that talent and then from there how did you take that process to landing on dragons <laughs> and really um, in watching that show I don't see a lot of jewelry companies actually pitch so what made you make that move and, and say this is the next big step for 
for us. So knowing that I had this sort of entrepreneurial bug inside of me, um, I had discovered Dragon's Den uh, season one and like totally been a binge watcher, really enjoyed the show um, and had kind of dreamt about one day, you know, one day we'll have enough um, sales behind us. One day we'll have that credibility that I could potentially pitch. And um, so I'll kind of take a step back and sort of walk through the process of how I actually ended up getting there. Um, that that three-day nursing convention where I launched Urban Pearl Accessories, the very first brand in, in um, 2015, I decided after then that I was really going to go for it. That was the turning point of, of making the decision that this was going to be something I'm going to pursue. And I remember going back into my day job at Women Entrepreneurs the, the Monday after that, that convention and saying, you know what, I had a great weekend in sales. I have decided I'm going to do this. I've decided to like quit this job and go for it full time. And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, <laughs> you're not, you're not quitting your job. That's, that's crazy talk, Rachel. Don't quit your job. You, if you're passionate about this, go for it. Awesome. Chase that dream, but keep, keep this job so that you can pay the bills and keep the lights on until you can't possibly do both. And that was like just tremendous advice because um, one of the things that many entrepreneurs run into in the first couple of years, and I think the state, the statistics are pretty staggering that 90% of all businesses fail within the first five years is you just simply run out of cash. You underestimate how much money it is going to take to, to successfully launch that venture. And so that was certainly sound advice. And it was a big reason why I didn't fail in the first couple of years was because, you know, I worked nine to five at that job for a period of time. And then I did eventually go part-time as the sales grew in Urban Pearl, but that allowed me to get enough. Like back then we were mainly um, wholesale based. So we went to stores and sold them a collection and then they would retail it for us. Um, It was really before internet sales were, were a thing at all. Like we did have a website initially, but it took many, many, many years before our internet sales were significant. Um, so, so that was kind of the journey, but, um, it was truly this, the encouragement of the ladies at women entrepreneurs to like, you know, keep, keep this security while you build the business. And so that gave me a couple of years of like stability and cash flow and, and something to fall back on if we did, we had a month where we missed our sales target. And so it was actually after, um, it was, I think January of 2018 that I went in and I finally did say, okay, I am going into this full time and left the job at West. And then it was a couple weeks later that those ladies had been given a given word that um, Dragon's End was coming through Regina and they were going to be doing auditions. And so they called me and they're like, we know that you really have a dream to like audition and be on the show and, and get a venture capital investment in your business to keep scaling up. You should go for it. And I thought, well, it's, I would love to, but I'm a year too early. I still need another year. And they were like, just what's the harm in trying? So I decided to go and audition in Regina. Um, the producer who came to the city, her name was Molly. She was like a young woman. Was, wasn't at all what I was expecting the audition process to, to be like. She loved the jewelry. So right away, she was like, I think this makes a great story. And I think that you have like a really good chance of getting an investment. So she's like, I'm going to bring you out to Toronto to be on the show. Um, and so that was about three months before I actually was going to fly out to Toronto and be on the show. So it was like that time frame that gave us a bit of a chance to reflect on, okay, what should the valuation be and really get our, um, our business plan in, in order so that I, you know, could be prepared to answer all the questions that the dragons presented to me. But as much as I prepared for that experience, the actual like showing up and going in front of 12 cameras, knowing that everything that you said or did um, potentially could make it to live television at the end of the season, I would say I just was completely unprepared for that experience, really, because in that moment, it's, um, it's so nerve wracking. 
and you don't get to um, you don't get to bring any notes in with you. So it's very much you know they're trying to create this like really um, dramatic, heightened emotional experience for both the dragons and for the entrepreneurs to create for good television. And, and of course, it's worked. It's made for a wonderful TV show. But from the entrepreneur's perspective, it's terrifying. And um, so as much as I could prepare for that moment, being in that moment and living through it was so scary and so nerve wracking. And um, some people know this, but not everybody knows this is I actually went in asking for $300,000 and didn't get the deal because we just couldn't come to a valuation that made sense based on the size of the business. So I ended up leaving the studio after an hour of pitching. And then um, after I left, I guess Brett and Arlene started chatting two of the dragons at the time. And um, they ended up calling me at my hotel and asking me to come back down to CBC to pitch again. And so I went through the whole process again of like giving the pitch again. And in the end, cutting the deal with um, uh, Brett Wilson, who is originally a Saskatchewan guy and uh, for 200,000 for 30 of the business and um yeah it was kind of it sort of although I felt you know prepared going into it in that moment it was such a um an emotional and wild experience and it was really exciting to walk away with that investment in the business and to really be able to kind of take that back and then take the business and scale it up over the next couple of years wow okay I feel like you covered even my next question but even that most people don't see that the whole process, how you actually pitched for an hour, <laughs> went back and had to come back again. And I can only imagine the roller coasters in that. I actually took a moment to check out that episode. And I was even going to ask you, you really built into this next question, like, how did it actually feel during the question period? Because for me, um, there's some people on there like Kevin, he's known for being a bit eccentric. And yeah. he would even ask you, like, do you take drugs? Like, what did it feel like in that moment to kind of have these strange questions being asked at you? Like you said, for probably for the sake of good television and yeah. upping, you know, the ante in that situation. But how did that actually feel? Because I thought I would be so overwhelmed if I was to hear those kind of comments coming my way during a pitch. You know, in the moment, in that setting, it gets so edited down, right? I think my final episode got edited down to eight or nine minutes, um, which actually is like a very long kind of pitch to make it to television. Most of them are just a few minutes. But in reality, between both of my pitches getting called back, I was in the studio for about two hours. So even though it gets edited to seem like very dramatic and very kind of confrontational, in the, I did find it um, to be very um, encouraging and the dragons to be really supportive and it to be a very positive experience and although you did see a few snippets of those like kind of just comments those digs that Kevin tries to get and most of those were were from the second taping when he knew that a deal was coming and and you know obviously they were trying to get their sound bites in for making for good television um so even (laughs) though it seems very tense and dramatic it wasn't it wasn't quite that dramatic in the moment in the studio okay yeah thank you for uh Yeah, explaining that process, because definitely for the viewer, I was just like, ooh, my heart. (laughs) (laughs) And also, so you got this deal with Brett, and then when that happened, what was the biggest obstacle then to actually making this dream a reality? Because again, people see that, they see that process, they think, okay, it's all sunshine and rainbows after Mm -hmm. that How how did it actually go from that initial um, deal to actually getting it to the place where you have it, um, where this is a a big, much bigger brand. This is much bigger than 
what I've been working on individually? Great question. I mean, coming away from Dragon's Den, um, I sort of thought that cash was the last piece that I needed to really just like light the brand on fire and take it nationally. And what I realized was you have to be really flexible when you're an entrepreneur. What I envisioned um, for the growth plan for the business uh, needed to pivot so many times and especially after the deal. So I got, I got the, we did the deal in the summer of 2008 and I got the check on my desk September, 2008. And my plan was to continue growing our wholesale business, continue growing it into the U S continue growing it into Eastern Canada. So we took a significant portion of the venture capital and went down to one of the best um, accessory wholesale trade shows in New York um, in January, 2009. And, um, and I really believe that that was the right path for us to continue growing. Um, but if you recall, 2008 was one of the worst Christmases retailers had in decades. It was right when the recession hit. So going into that trade show, it was, it was like a ghost town. Um, nobody came because nobody had cash after Christmas because the sales just didn't happen. And so we had taken a significant portion of that in investment and put it into this, the show where I thought we would like gain exposure and get all of these wholesale contracts in the US. And we basically walked away with no, no new wholesale partners and having spent, you know, a good portion of that money. So after coming back from that trade show, I really had to sit down and ask, okay, like that didn't work. What's working and what should we be doubling down our efforts on? Um, and how do I pivot and kind of come back from this? Because we, we then had dwindled a significant portion of that, um, that cash reserve, and we had to kind of find a way to pivot and keep going. And so when I really took a look at what was working, it was, it was our local, our local growth and success. We were having so much success and, and to an extent, we were kind of glossing over how critical that had been to the success of the brand to look at the larger vision of how do we, how do we grow beyond our borders when really the, the growth was being fueled from within. It was really the local community. And so after then we were like, look, this is working really well, like right here in Saskatchewan how can we double down on this? How can we open a store right here in Regina? So then that led to us opening our first store in Regina, right in that building where we had um, located after Dragon's Den and um, the little yellow house on McIntyre Street. We opened our first store there and that store very quickly became incredibly successful for us. And that the success of that store allowed us to open our second store, which was just a few blocks away in the Cornwall Center, um, our first Sparkle Bar. And then the success of that location, you know, fueled the third and it kind of compounded. And so I'm, I'm really thankful for what felt like at the time, it felt like a massive failure and a really big setback. And I wasn't sure that we would be able to overcome it as a business. It felt so, it felt so um, debilitating, but it was such a necessary catalyst to where we got, have gotten to today because it allowed us to step back, really take stock of what was working change our focus, change our strategy and double down on, on what was really working in the moment, even though that wasn't necessarily the vision for the growth of the business at the time. Yeah. I love how you explained that process and really sound advice because sometimes people think, you know, go big or go home, or they don't really try and scale their growth, but it's, it sounds like that was actually the conclusion that your team came to is that we could actually build something quite significant here and mm -hmm. eventually reach that major goal. So I, I love that you shared that with our audience. Um, I also wanted to ask that your jewelry actually ended up being worn by the queen, I think at least twice. And what was the process of that? Because like you said, uh, you just focused on local. So how did 
the Queen of England suddenly have access to <laughs> one of your pieces of jewelry? Well, funny enough, this was very much a result of, again, being locally focused. Um, so Hilberg & Burke uh, is a company that is very much focused on how do we support and give back to our local community, specifically to women's causes and initiatives through the success of our brand. And over the years, we have supported dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of organizations across the country, specifically focused on women. Um, because of that work, we became known to, um, at the time, the Lieutenant Governor of Saskatchewan, who had just recently come into that position, Vaughn Solomon Schofield. And when she came into this position, she knew that she was going to have an opportunity to have an audience with the Queen in the coming year. And she wanted to take her a really special Saskatchewan made gift. And so they came to us and they asked us if we would be willing to create something that um, would honor the Queen for her time um, serving. Um, serving the Commonwealth and really represent the work that she's done for women. And so we designed uh, a floral brooch because we really felt that flowers are both um, strong and, and beautiful and delicate at the same time. Um, and, and we want to design a piece that very much felt like Hilberg and Burke as well. So we created this piece that very much felt like Hilberg and Burke and our aesthetic. And I think that, you know, at the time of creating it was a bit of a design risk to present something that was just so Hilberg and Burke, you know, our design aesthetic is bold and it's colorful. And as you said, it's fun and joyful. And it is, um, to me, it's an expression of who we are as women. It is, um, it is perfect in imperfection. And we didn't use the most like high quality materials we could find. We use materials that we use for our jewelry every day affordable, beautiful gemstones, but gemstones that have inclusions, because again, we feel like that represents who we are as women, our, our, our imperfections are what make us perfect and should be celebrated. So we, we took a big design risk in creating that piece. And um, we didn't know if, if she would wear it quite honestly, when we were in the process of designing it in my wildest dreams, I could not imagine her actually wearing it. It just was so far removed from my reality at the time, um, which was probably a good thing because it really allowed us to lean into designing a piece that was very much uh, who we were as a brand and as a company. And I think that us being so true to who we were um, aesthetically in that piece is what made it interesting to the queen because she's gone on to wear that piece, I think like seven or eight times that we've seen. Wow. And then we were actually commissioned a second time, the second time by the government of Canada um, for the Sapphire Jubilee uh, to create a piece on behalf of the government of Canada um, as well. And so I, you know, I think the success and her wearing it the first piece so many times sort of did help along with the, with the second commission as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think reflecting on that piece and that opportunity, it was really, us, I think, creating something special and unique and very different from anything that she had um, that drew her to it. And so I think even your comments about, you know, you're attracted to the product because it's, it's colorful, it's joyful we try and really have that come through in every piece because jewelry should be about expressing who we are, expressing the playful parts of our personality and, and having fun, you know, kind of remembering the fun parts of our childhood through the expression of fun accessories. And that's very much what we try and do at Hilberger Burke. That's so, um, that's so beautiful. I love the story and I love how, uh, I guess she was able to capture some of that spirit too even though she's not here I, I, I'm glad that she was also able to feel that through that piece of jewelry as well um, one of the things I wanted to bring up too is uh, you talked about your connection with WESC and I also saw you do a WESC presentation and you were really talking about the future of brick and mortar stores 
And so you had some pretty innovative um, thoughts that you were presenting at that time. And I wanted to get your insight even now with COVID. What is some of your predictions around the future of retail and brick and mortar and maybe some thoughts and ideas you do have for local businesses given the times that we're in? Well, you don't have to look very far right now to see that retail is being radically, radically changed very rapidly. We're feeling it and everyone is feeling it right now. And we look at it in, internally at Hilberg and Burke as a tremendous opportunity. And you can't, you can't run and hide from like what's going on in the world. You know, you have to get ahead of it or you'll be left behind. And, you know, for many years, I've believed that retail has to evolve, that it has to not be about the brand. And we, we've seen this in, in many brands that have been innovative for the last decade and more. It's not about the brand anymore. It's about the customers that are coming in. How do we improve their lives somehow through the experience that we give them? And so that's a question we've been asking ourselves since we started opening retail. Um, but never has it been more important than right now. You know, how do we how do we improve the lives? And for for us at, at Hilberg and Burke, we're serving a customer who is incredibly busy. She has young kids. She has aging parents. She is a mom. She is a professional. She is involved in her community. She doesn't have a lot of time to shop, but yet she does have needs to feel polished and put together to buy beautiful, high quality gifts for the people that she loves. And so we're always asking the question of how do we best serve the needs that she has and continue to inspire her through our retail presence. And we also know that being there physically in brick and mortar is still really important. And that experience has to evolve. So I would say, you know, even though we've, we've, as a company challenged ourselves a lot over the last seven years, eight years since we've had retail, the last eight months, we have like really stopped and stepped back and thought about this is changing. This has been a decade of evolution in about six months. So how do we accelerate even faster to like ensure that we are giving her what, what she wants? Um, and we're, uh, we've kind of worked on this new evolution of what our retail footprint is going to look like and um, pretty excited to be rolling some of those out, I think, in 2021, as long as everything kind of keeps going on track. But yeah, we're, we, we really think about how do, we, how do we show up in a way that um, improves her life improves the life of our customers and um at the top of that top of the like pyramid of that is what's the experience we're giving her you know how do we show up how do our how do our our staff show up and inspire her and um and how do we think more broadly than just about selling jewelry to her but really just like giving her an experience that helps support and improve her life I really like what you said because you're really still paying attention to that core person, that core, I guess, persona for marketers out there who you're serving. And then as her life is adjusting, what can we do to still support her in that place? Mm -hmm. um, retail, it sounds like they have to really step back and think about who are those individuals they're trying to serve and how best they can communicate to them given the different situations and times that we're in for sure so mm -hmm. thanks for mm -hmm. giving that feedback and I also uh, wanted to ask you I know that you're very passionate about serving causes that have to do with empowering women so I wanted to ask what are some of the causes that uh, you're involved in right now or that you have been involved in that uh, you can share with our audience Oh, so many top of the list of kind of like what's um, 
uh, top of mind and, and relevant right now. I mean, I'm very passionate about the YWCA, specifically the YWCA in Regina, who is embarking on a capital campaign to develop an incredible new facility in the community. But that's such an important cause all the time, but also through COVID because women have been so um, significantly impacted during this time. Um, we also had a partnership over the last year with an organization called Not In My City, which brings awareness to and is really um, working hard with law enforcement groups across the country to bring awareness to and to stop human trafficking, um, which is such an unknown and untalked about issue, certainly has been coming up more, you know, you're seeing more of it, it's being more talked about, you're seeing signs and posters now in public places. Um, but we did launch a campaign with them. And recently, I was, uh, I took on a role of being an honorary captain of the Navy, and, um, and recently kind of relocated and now live close to um, the Esquimalt Navy base here in, in Victoria. But, uh, you know, prior to this role and taking on this role, I thought very little, um, very infrequently, I thought very infrequently about um, the role that um, the Navy and the Army and the Air Force have in in the life that we have in Canada. And um, it has opened my eyes so much to the work that the, the men and women do to support and serve our country and to afford us the freedoms and the opportunities that we have in this country. And I mean, um, something that I talk about quite often is you don't have to travel very far to come home and be so thankful for the opportunities that exist in Canada. And, uh, and you know, the, the men and women that serve our country are um, an incredible part of that. And I just really feel, um, yeah, I, I feel very passionate about bringing awareness to, um, to not only career options um, in the Navy and um, in the Army and the Air Force, but also uh, just bringing awareness to the work that those um, incredible men and women do in our country. Wow, that's so incredible. And you have such a <laughs> versatile leadership roles going on. Like, it's just so good <laughs> to hear every time uh, the different projects and areas that you're working in. And I wanted to ask you finally, um, what is the thing you value the most about your role today? So 2020 has been like a wild year for our family as it has been for everyone. Um, earlier this year, uh, I had some health challenges and went through a cancer diagnosis. And I would say that that really, I've always valued um, freedom of time and choice in my life. And I think I've set up my life in a way that gives me the opportunity to have freedom of, of um, time and choice. But more so this year than ever before, I've really realized and kind of have stepped back and, and reevaluated my life and started to re-architect it in a way that even gives me more freedom of time. Um, I have uh, two small children and, um, and a grown stepson. And the opportunity to be able to start my morning by making them lunch, lunch, cooking them breakfast and, and walking them to school uh, is the most wealth that I could possibly have in my life. So um, yeah, I've really just kind of reevaluated how I spend my time and my days and, and I'm and working right now. It is a work of progress, of course, to re-architect my time so that uh, the things that are most important to me in my life um, consume the most of my, my time and my headspace right now. Well, thank you. And, th and thanks for being uh, vulnerable and sharing that because I know health is a huge part of this whole journey that we're kind of on right now, whether it's the individual health or, or the overall health of uh, people in the world right now. So I'm definitely um, 
sending good vibes to you <laughs> as well. I know you also, um, we, we discussed this before we started the interview, but you also wanted to talk about the importance of supporting locals. So I just wanted to give you a chance to talk a bit about that um, before we wrap up the, the interview. <laughs> I mean, I think there's certainly maybe more awareness now than there has been in recent years about how critical it is to, to our uh, local economy that we do find the local companies and ensure we're supporting them through these challenging times. But yeah, I like to kind of just reflect on the story of Hilberg and Burke, you know, as a company that I started at my kitchen table, literally on my own by myself with about, you know, $500 and, and some credit cards. And from there, we've grown to a company and a team of, you know, well over 150 employees and 10 stores and um, a digital business that we sell online all over the globe. And that is because the local community like fiercely supported Hilberg and Burke in early days. And what a what an incredible growth story, not only for for the business, but for our community, you know, to really have that that business located in the Saskatchewan community. It's it's amazing. If we continue to do that, if we are we are like fiercely supportive of our local brands, they will grow. And um it it just that is like an anchor of future prosperity within our communities. We have to be really vigilant about supporting those local brands and understanding, you know, where, where our products are made and understanding how do we support our, our local economy. Um, and of course it is important, more important now than it ever has been before. And we're seeing the like devastating effects that the closures have had on, on our local economy. So I think people are just really more aware now more than ever, but it's, it's such an important thing to not lose sight of post COVID. Um, these, these local companies and these small brands, eventually they can grow and, and down the road, they can be a very important part of our communities. So it's making conscious choices is so incredibly important. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for bringing so much value and your story and so many great literal gems <laughs> for us to listen to throughout this interview. Uh, I really appreciate your time and, and thank you for sharing that with our audience today, Rachel. It's my pleasure.